31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel. Eugène Garnier. 45,571. The Triangles. Today is a day in the beginning of February 1943. Eugène Garnier needs to get in contact with the 31,000. First, he needs to figure out where they are. They are most likely to be in Birkenau, but Eugène is already in touch with some women there. In the morning, he waits just like everyone else during the roll call. It is long and cold, around minus four degrees. This might be the worst part about this place, the endless roll calls. Eugène thinks about all the different things he will tell the 31,000. He wants to tell them about their singing when they arrived, how inspirational it was. Maybe he should warn them about the commandos. On the other hand, Eugène has a million questions for them. What's the situation with the war? Do they know if the Russians are holding against the Germans? Is Stalingrad in trouble? Are the Americans involved now? Or are they only fighting in the Pacific? <sighs> a million questions. But in case he can only say a few words, he decides he'll tell them that. We are here for you. What can we do to help? Back in 1941, Eugène was a well-known activist figure. He participated to the 1930s strikes, lost his job for his values. He led a political career, became secretary of the communist section of the city of Flairs in Normandy, south of Caen. As the Communist Party was forbidden in France, Eugène kept on leading a small group, yet in clandestinity. When France lost the war, he understood quickly that resistance would need to start early and that it would need to take multiple forms. Resistance means gathering. You can't achieve anything alone, so Eugène created one of the first triangles of resistance in the region. Three people in each triangle, nothing more, so to limit big arrestations. Resistance also means informing. Eugène and his triangle printed and distributed leaflets to give their point of views on the situation in France, about what was happening with Russia and other countries. Those informations simply weren't available under France-occupied Germany. Sabotaging is also a key element in being a resistant. Anything slowing down the German army or the war production effort can be helpful to defeat the Germans. Eugène was also part of sabotaging elements and in October 1941, he met with Pierre-Georges to provide him explosives. Pierre-Georges, who would later become the famous Colonel Fabien. But Eugène became himself too visible. He knew the police was after him, after his family, after his friends. He could have run, but he didn't want to pose too much of a threat to his family. So Eugène gave all his printing material to a colleague so the organization could carry on without him. 
On the 18th of October, at 6 o'clock in the morning, the police knocked at his door. It was the end for Eugène. Except it wasn't the end. In royal lieu, Eugène prepared himself and the others to any possibility. Their group was strong, very well organized. They even managed to have a dozen people escape through a tunnel, including Georges Cognot, the redactor-in-chief of the L'Humanité newspaper. They prepared for what would be next. They knew deportation was a possibility. They saw the entire Jewish section of the royal lieu emptying in early 1942. They didn't know where they would be deported, but they knew they would be next in line. But they couldn't have prepared for Auschwitz. How could they? Almost all of the friends from the Jewish part of the Royalio camp had already perished in the first weeks, murdered. The camp was gigantic, the violence at every corner. Shaved, the 45,000 could barely recognize each other, and they all got separated in several commandos. Scattered, the organization was wiped entirely. So many died in the first months. So few remained. Most of the heads of the groups were murdered. Eugène himself barely remembered how he survived the first months. He thought it was the end. But it wasn't the end. He did survive. Surviving is another way to resist. In December 1942, Eugène met again with Roger Abada and Roger Pellissou. For the first time in months, they talked. They made a list of who passed, who survived, where everyone was, who needed extra food, who could give some of his water. For the first time in months, the 45,000 gathered again. They recreated their group, their triangle. They gave each other task. Eugène's was to get in touch with the woman. And they met other groups. Robert Lambert was another survivor who gained energy thanks to the Austrian resistance, partly led by Hermann Langbein and Karl Lilly. They believed he could be strong enough to survive and become a key element to the French resistance. And Robert had no intention to disappoint them. Georges Guinchamp had been treated in a similar way by the Polish resistance. He survived too and helped another group of 45,000. Just like that, they connected the dots and the different organizations of resistance met with each other. It wasn't the end, no. It was a start. People meeting with each other, helping those who needed help, contacting each other. An international committee. Because protecting and gathering are ways to resist. Back to the present, once the roll call is over, Eugène can inquire about the 31,000. He learns they are in quarantine, in block 14. It already would have been difficult to get in touch with any woman in Birkenau, yet the quarantine makes everything even harder. It's going to take weeks before the 45,000 find a way to contact the 31,000. But the way has already been found by Daniel Casanova herself. She may have been separated from the 31,000, yet she is active, 
already creating her own resistance network. She got in touch with two women, the Slovak Malova and the German Schneider. And she transmitted the message to the International Committee. The message is simple. We've arrived. What can we do to help on our side? Hope just came back to Eugene. Thank you for listening to this episode of 31,000-45,000, the story of two trains of French members of the Résistance. My name is Mathieu Landau-Engel. This episode was about Eugène Garnier and the Résistance organization within Auschwitz-Birkenau. So Eugène Garnier is a, is a, is a bit of a narrative uh, issue to me because many 31,000 witnessed Eugène Uh, was one of the first contact with the 31,000, yet other 45,000 were also in touch, like Pierre Mongeau, Albert Morel, Giobbe Pazzini, René uh, Demersemann, Henri Marty, Georges Gaudret, Henri Gorg, and others. Now the first contact most likely came from Daniel Casanova, who got in touch with the International Committee very quickly, gave information about who was present in uh, the 31,000 convoy, which will matter as uh, many 31,000 and 45,000 were related. I don't have any way of proving uh, if Eugene uh, was the first 45,000 to receive the first news from the 31,000, nor do I know um, what the first message was. I chose Eugene Garnier because he is uh, the 45,000 whom the 31,000 remember best. Um, he took many risks to keep communication with the women, mostly as some 31,000 uh, rich Raisko. Raisko is another element that I will uh, get to uh, in a further episode. Contrary to a wide belief, the resistance within uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau was very important. It is true that upon arrival, the prisoners were uh, either scattered or gassed, destroying any possible groups of people at the start. That was the case with the 45,000 who were almost immediately scattered, shattering their original hopes of resisting as a group. Yet those who survived started to help others, then formed into new groups. So it may have taken some time, yet resistance groups appeared everywhere in the camps. The Polish resistance was one of the first, simply because they were the first to arrive in the camp. There were multiple groups, German, Russian, French. Some were not necessarily country-based groups, even though speaking the same language was easier. But in a place like this one, medical help was one of the first duties of those groups. A huge duty of those groups was to place people in various commandos. Sometimes easier commandos is the prisoner needed energy, sometimes also for removing other people. In the beginning, most heads of commandos, uh, like capos, were green labels, which is the label for criminals. And for the most part, they were actually very violent people. Removing them was an important mission for the uh, international resistance groups, as it would also avoid violence for most prisoners. So there was, for some time, an actual battle between the green labels and the red labels, the political prisoners. That's not to say that all red labels were pacific, some weren't, but removing the green labels did have an effect on the overall violence in the camp. This, unfortunately, made no difference at all in the carrying on of the extermination 
process of the European Jewish population. Escaping was another duty, and multiple escapes were made thanks to those groups. Armed attacks also happened, but it was obviously far harder, simply because the SS were plenty and they were the ones who were armed. The most spectacular attack was the Sonder Commando Revolt on the 7th of October 1944, but I will get to it on a later episode. All those groups uh, later were unified as uh, the uh, Auschwitz Combat Group in May 1943, preparing for a global uprising in the camp. That unfortunately didn't happen, mostly because the evacuation started and later uh, scattered once more the groups. As for the 45,000, it's important to mention those who helped with the creation of the French resistance groups, people like Roger Abada, Roger Pellissou, Eugène Garnier, Robert Lambotte, Georges Guinchamp, Guy Lecruf, André Montagne, and many more. Hermann Langbein is an important figure of the resistance within uh, Auschwitz. He was an Austrian resistance fighter, actor, member of the international brigades, and righteous amongst the nation. Alongside with many others, like Ernst Burger, Joseph uh, Sirankiewicz, Tadeusz Oluj, he put in place an important network of resistance, help, sabotage, and protection. I, I really apologize if I uh, botch some of the names. I have been trying to find Eugène Garnier's relatives. Unfortunately, my research wasn't successful. If by any chance you know of someone related to him, please let me know. I would be very pleased to get in touch and make sure the text I wrote doesn't contain any errors. My sources for this story are the book Le Convoi du 24 Janvier by Charlotte Delbo, A Train in Winter by Caroline Mohet. My sources also are Red Triangles in Auschwitz by Claudine Cardon-Amet, the website Memoire Vive, the Foundation for the Memory of Deportation website, and the fantastic website Auschwitz.org. Thank you very much for listening. The next episode will be about Jeanne Hervé and the isolation of some 31,000. 31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel.